Uh, let's invite the ushers forward also. We got uh, Bibles, outlines, and pens to follow along the service if you want. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 15. Um, famous, famous passage. We'll get into that in a minute, but I want to thank Brent for uh, covering the beginning of chapter 18 last week. And uh, thank you so many of you for the genuinely nice comment and, uh, about uh, Brent sharing with us. And so, very encouraging. Uh, Matthew chapter 18 starts out talking about the children and their perspective and our perspective towards them. The second half is going to talk about adults, or as I like to call them, the bigger children. And uh, this one's going to hurt a little bit. We're going we're gonna to approach some things that have been talked about many, many times, and we're going to clarify some of it, because I think uh, there's a good chunk of it that's wrong in general perception. But we're going to look into it. We're going to have a little, it'll be a little uncomfortable for a second, maybe, but then it'll, it'll be good by the end. All right, we okay with that? Yep. Anybody else want food? <laughs> no, last chance, third call. All right, uh, Lord, let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning and thanks for our opportunity to uh, rethink. Your Word uses the phrase "repent" regularly, and we need to define that as rethinking who we are, who you are, our approach, our week, our motivations. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning think about more of our, more than ourselves, but to think about how you look at things, uh, think about how it affects the people around us. And I pray that you would do that this morning through your word. So as we read this passage, uh, may you inspire us and push us um, to the next level. And we pray you do it through your Holy Spirit who is here with us. And we pray uh, all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, uh, 18, verse 15. Jesus is in the middle of teaching. Uh, Brent showed you the first part about the younger people and how to approach that. And he, he really isn't even skipping a beat. He's just going straight into, and you know, when somebody does something wrong to you, this is how you handle it. So this is a famous passage, Matthew chapter 18. Christians have quoted it for generations and generations as to how you handle conflict or uh, confrontation and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's a little uncomfortable in some ways, but let's get into it. If you're, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, does that, does that happen? Do people do th wrong things against you? Because I want to, I wanna, let's play a little theological game here. Um, when, when somebody sins, do they really sin against you? Because let's, let's define sin. Sin is defined by who? Right, right and wrong. And who picks right and wrong? God. So when somebody sins, have, have they violated God, right? Do, do you get to pick what right and wrong are? You don't? That's a wrap. We can call that a sermon for the day, can't we? <laughs> right? uh, so technically, from a theological perspective, when somebody does something wrong, it is a sin against God. It's never against you. Now, when somebody sins against God, that makes sense, right? But you still have questions, don't you? Because that was Jesus talking. And he said, sins against you. So what does Jesus mean? 
theologically, when you sin against God, is it possible to hurt others in the process? That's what's going on here. Uh, we need to distinguish between the two. Um, which one is most important to Jesus? What do we say here at the church? Both, all, right? Uh, go and tell him his fault. But post it on social media first. <laughs> tell everybody you know. And make sure he changes. Right? Is that what it says? Notice what it says between you and him alone. Do you, you know what just happened there? We've pretty much eliminated the use of electronic devices. Well, something's out of line, sideways, if you will. Uh, no electronic devices in resolving it. There's two different reasons. Uh, one, it's supposed to be just you and him. So you can't post it, because when you post it, someone else sees it, right? Uh, you can't just text, call, Twitter, whatever, direct message. You can't do an Insta, selfie, whatever. You can't do that either. Why? Because there's a little phrase in there. Go. Go and tell him. What's implied? Face to face. If you have an electronic device, uh, you, you might get tone of voice, but might not get facial expression. You might get facial expression, but not understand the tone of voice. Body language, all those kind of things. Uh, it's why, like you guys, you guys give me a hard time about Pete's coffee, like meeting at Pete's, right? Do you know why I do meetings at Pete's? Face to face. Eyeball to eyeball, in conversation, you're hearing tone, you're seeing all that stuff, right? If, if somebody's in trouble, how easily would it be to misunderstand a reference in a text, the content of an email. There's so many ways to take those the wrong way. And you have to be pretty much like a professional. You have to have a PhD in clear communication. Like John Thompson is probably the only one who could send a text message and get the message clearly across, right? Because he's got that clear messaging thing down already. The rest of us, there's too much lost in translation. So here's what you know. If you're ever in trouble with me, we're meeting at Pete's. Right? You know why? Because it's in public. You can have a private conversation in public, then they can't make a scene. But also because we're going to sit across the table, we're gonna, I'm going to hear your voice, we're going to see eye to eye. You're going to get a turn, I'm going to get a turn. and you know, Hopefully you'll get more turns than I do. Uh, if everything's great between us, we're meeting at Pete's. So there, I left you totally in the dark. All you know is we're meeting at Pete's. You don't know if you're in trouble or not, right? Hey, can we meet at Pete's at 10? Oh no, what does that mean? <laughs> right? It means we're having a face-to-face. -face. Why is that? Because the person in the exchange is more valuable than the content of the exchange. What we're about to find out is the exchange is more valuable than the content as well. 
Uh, totally forgot to put that in order first service so here's your second service extra the other person in the exchange is number one the delivery of the exchange is number two priority wise and the last value in the exchange is the content of the exchange itself here's how you know you're messing it up when you flip that you know i don't care what they say they need to know right you ever heard somebody talk like that tune them out right there it's like oh i'm sorry i got a hair appointment Try that one. It works. Even when you have no hair. Uh, Sins against you, go tell him. You and him alone. If he listens to you, it will be a miracle. Wait, is that what it says? No. Oh. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That phrase is amazing. In fact, I want to make you say it. Okay? I'm going to read the first part. If he listens to you, and as soon as I finish that, like without skipping a beat, you're all going to repeat after me. I know it's responsive reading. We don't do it very often at Rock Bible Church. But we're bringing it back. Okay, here we go. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's pretty good. It wasn't quite first service, though. So we're going to do it again. Here we go. Uh, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What's the motivation in an exchange when things are sideways? winning or losing isn't that it that's always been it for me i am red-blooded middle-class white competitive aggressive type a everything's about winning and losing right you can't take that perspective into an exchange when there's a conflict why because if there's a winner there's a and we we're not doing that Jesus could have said, you will win back your brother. He didn't say that. You gain a brother. Kind of implies that he gains also. This brings us to the phrase that I never could understand. We want a win-win solution. It's like, I don't understand what you just said. If there's a winner, there's always... You can't have a win-win. Yes, you can. When it's not a competition when you're not keeping score. Motivation of an exchange is a relationship. That's done through how the exchange is handled and maybe you get to the content. Because here's the fascinating, fascinating part of the person on the opposite side, your opposition. This is going to be a revelation for you. They already know. They already know the violation. 99.9% of the time, when there's a violation and you go, hey, uh, can we talk? They cringe. Why? Because you, they know you're going to come with fangs and teeth and, and elbows and you're going to punch them or something? No. They're not worried about the exchange. They're not worried about you. They know the content already. It's the weirdest deal. I coach high school soccer for many decades now, sadly. I figured this thing out. It it took me a while, but I figured this thing out. When somebody makes a mistake on the field, one, I never sub them right then. I do not sub them right out of the game, right after, like, foul, dirty, whatever, blah, blah. They made a mistake. We lost the ball, and it's like, "Mm, I could sub them right now. 
just going to take a breath. I'm going to wait 12 seconds. We'll wait for the next stoppage of play, and then I'll sub them out. Why? Folks, we're Christians. We love Jesus, and we know that we're supposed to love our neighbor. Why don't I do that? Why do I wait 12 seconds? A lot of ways to say it. I'm saving face for the kid. Right? I draw attention to him in that moment, right as he made a mistake. I'm pulling him out. I don't have to say a word, and everybody knows, and negative attention. Right? It's a bad exchange, and it devalues the person on the other side. Here's the other thing. I wait 20 seconds, whatever. Ball goes out. We can sub. Sub ref. Hey, Freddie, Ben, come here. Elliot, go in. Right? When Ben's coming off the field, I say nothing. I say, go get a drink of water. Take a minute. If you want to talk, come back in a few minutes. Why? He already knows. He already knows. Wonder if that was the forefront of our mind as we go into these kind of exchanges. When you feel slighted, victimized, you've been taken advantage of and abused, right? Because you're also feeble and sensitive. If he listens, you've gained a brother. That's the goal. Not teaching them a lesson or making sure they get it right. But if he does not listen, 95% of the time, okay, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. He didn't listen the first time. I'm gonna bring two or three others with me. Why? I'm gonna go as two, I'm gonna go as three. You might bring three other witnesses, but now you got four on one. I don't know. Why are you doing that? To make sure he gets the message? No. When you walk into that scenario, it's not you did something wrong. It's we're concerned. Here's what we noticed. How can we help? It never should be you hurt me. You did it. In fact, I've got a checklist. All the things you did. It can't be like that. Now the content's the most important thing. Rather than how you're approaching them. Take two or three. If he refuses to listen, which is every time, folks, you take three or four people and go and confront somebody. I've, I've been a, a part of too many of these. Generally, they don't listen. I won't say every time. I mean, I did say every time. I won't say it again. 99 point high percentage. They're not going to listen. Why? And if it's me, it's 100% I'm not listening. If you came to me once and we didn't get there, you bring four people and confront me, one, it's not a fair fight for you. <laughs> I'm going to be fine because I got an ego and I'm aggressive and I'm confrontational and I'm stubborn and well, pick six more negative terms. <laughs> my blood starts going and they're like, you what? All I'm thinking in the back of my head is I bet I'm going to look up another passage, see if I can find confirmation from my side of this. <laughs> right? Because generally when that's done, it's handled the wrong way. When you go to somebody like that, 
You gotta go like grandma. You, you ever have grandma confront you or correct you? Didn't even know I was corrected. I mean, there would be like mint chocolate chip cookies after and the whole thing, and yet I was doing something different that she wanted changed, and she got one over. How did she do that? her approach? And grandma comes in, she's hugs and kisses and let's talk and oh, sweetie, blah, blah. How's that exchange? Everybody loves grandma, right? Was at dinner last night? <laughs> Sitting close to me was a grandma. And granddaughter came over and wanted to sit in grandma's lap. Oh, is right. 20 minutes, almost no talking. Just sitting there, grandma and granddaughter. Just everything's great. Why does that, that kid love grandma so much? Because of the way grandma approaches grandson. And grandma doesn't have to do diapers or feed it or take him to school or clothe him or, you know, right? I can't wait to be a grandparent for those responsibilities. I can totally wait to be a grandparent, if you know what I mean, right? Uh, if you're not sure how to approach somebody, one, don't approach them. Abort. Walk away. If you still think you need to try, go get coached by grandma. She'll show you how to approach somebody if helping them is generally your concern, gaining them back and being gained back by them. That's how we approach it, right? If you refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If you refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let him go. Let him walk. Gentile tax collector. Those are positive terms? I like Gentiles. I are one. In this context, what's it saying? They don't want to be part of the body. Which folks? Let me be dead clear. And this one's going to hurt a little bit. If they're willing to walk away, they weren't ever apart. If something goes wrong and they walk, it's because the content is more important to them than you are to them. And at that point, it's time to call a spade a spade and recognize you have no value with them. You have value? Praise the Lord. Why? Because you turn around, you're going to be a part of somebody else's life. You're going to go invest in someone else who likes you, likes your talents, sees what you're valuable for, all that kind of thing. They want to sit with you at Pete's, the whole deal. But when somebody says, hmm, in what I'm pursuing, you're not part of the equation, and they eliminate you as a variable in what they're trying to get to, go be a variable in somebody else's equation. I'm here to give you permission to not have a relationship with everybody on the planet. You ain't got time. And there is only one God. That's his role. And he's never failed. Amen? Uh, let him go. Let him walk. Don't chase him. One of the greatest lessons my mom ever taught me. Mom, I was trying to work with this. I was trying to talk. Where I go. They walked away. She said, what do you do? I started, I started following after him, trying to talk to him. My mom said, don't you dare ever walk away from somebody who decided to do something physical 
to separate themselves from you. Because if walking away from you physically doesn't work because you chase them, they might choose something else physical to do to keep you away from them. You are escalating the problem. You are not solving the problem. Duly noted, mom. <laughs> right? I was all of like four foot tall, 88 pounds or something. I shouldn't be chasing anybody. You know what I mean? Uh, Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What? I have how much power and control? I can bind and loose things? Well, is Jesus commanding you that? Or is he revealing something? wow, you've got all this power to bind things and release things? Or is he commanding you? Have the right perspective when you go into difficult scenario and make sure you are holding back oppositional things and releasing people back into relationship. That's the way I take it. I have several arguments in favor of that that I'm about to show you. Okay, let's keep going. We're binding things that are a problem, which are generally content. We're releasing things that are a relationship, okay? Verse 18, again, I say to you, or in proof of this, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Why two? Because if you're on your own, you'll come up with some weird stuff. Have you met a human? on their own, right? Goofy. There's a way that seems right to a man and its path leads to construction. No, not construction. Destruction, right? We all think it's construction. I got an idea. I'm going to build something. Everybody else is scratching their head going, this is going to be good. Get the popcorn. (laughs) Let's watch, right? Uh, why too? Because the second person helps get you back to the binding and loosing of the proper things when person is most important, exchange is second important, and content is last. They help you get back to God perspective. In theory. That doesn't always work that way. But this is where God's headed. This is what the Father wants. For, and here, here we're going to go to one of the most misquoted verses on the planet. For generations. I've heard this so many times during worship. So when I get up and walk up and say, uh, sorry guys, clarification. Okay. This is going to take a minute, but we're going to get through this. And it's, 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 you're going to walk out clearer. Light bulb's going to go off. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Amen. Doesn't that sound great? So if uh, two or three of us are gathered together, if if Bryce and I are together, we're good. We're going to add Gene. We're still good. Soon as Chris shows up. Now we got four. (laughs) Says two or three are gathered. Nope. Now we got four. What happened? He left. Holy Spirit, gone. Jesus, no more, right? What about when you're by yourself? 
When you pray, you can pray, but you're on your own. Jesus is not there. Um, are you seeing this simple, goofy math problem with this? Right? Here's the problem. This is not meant to be true in general about everything overarching. What's the passage about? Confrontation, conflict, sideways. When you're going to be in front of somebody, it's better to have God's perspective and maybe that's a command. I am to be with you as you go to them rather than I'm giving you permission to do and say whatever you want when you attack them in response for their attack. No. This is not a I give you license thing. By the way, let's, do a little, let's play a little theological game again, right? We, play, we played one earlier. It went pretty well. I'll play a second one. Uh, Holy Spirit. Top three things you know about the Holy Spirit. In general, what, what, what you, we know uh, part of the Trinity, God, right? What else? Well, like number two is... is he's a helper, okay, for us, in us. And what do we know about his character or his being? Like his geography. Like he's everywhere. I love it. First service, they're like, omnipresence. I was like, that has like six, I don't even know what syllables are. Um, what does that mean? Is it the very nature of the Holy Spirit that he's everywhere? So how could it be that if there were only one person, he's not there? If there's... 80 of us in this room right now? Is he here? Well, why does that say only two or three? Because it's talking about a very specific scenario. Can you worship by yourself? I have in my car. It's the weirdest thing. Because I'm not a good singer. I don't think. I don't know. In the shower, I do much better. We have a thousand people. Is the God relationship watered down because it's kind of too many people and it's crowd, you know, sociology three, the larger the crowd, the lower the IQ overall. Is, is, are, we, are we missing something? It's impossible to miss God, folks, if you're seeking him. And that's kind of the point. If you're going with two or three, seek God in your approach rather than try to get permission for you to do whatever you want in confrontation. That's not what it's about. Okay, and then be nice to any worship leader whoever says to you, hey folks, you know it says where two or three are gathered, he is here among us. Let's worship together. You should be cringing like, oh no, he's gonna confront me with something. <laughs> I did wrong. Is that Matthew chapter 18? Where two or more are gathered in his name, there I am among you. What's that? Among. It's a value statement. I want to be with you. Not I'm giving you permission or I'm giving you license or I'm ordaining you to be a controlling dictator in a relationship. No. But you know, that's how it's been used. How about you be among me and you bring me to be among them? Different way to look at that. Then Peter... Don't we love Peter? He is thinking the best character in the whole Bible, aside from God, maybe. Okay, there's just so many disclaimers in that. 
Peter came up and said to him, Lord, I am totally confused. I'm going to give you the longer version. This is not the Cliff Notes. This is Scott Notes, okay? Uh, I am totally confused. I know my brother is going to sin like crazy. I have met people. How many times does he get to sin again? And then what's the phrase? What's the next phrase? Against me. And I forgive him? Wait a minute. See, Peter, Peter grew, grew up in a culture where if you get it wrong once, they could take you out and stone you to death. You get it wrong once. You have defiled yourself and you have to go separate yourself from the community for a certain amount of time. You get it wrong once. You have to bring some huge sacrifice to the temple and you have to wait your turn and someone else has to consecrate it. And I mean, it could take days. Peter is walking in going, Jesus, wait, wait, wait. We, we've been living where you can't even get it wrong once. Are you saying you're changing the rules? Okay, I've gotten this wrong so many times. I'm gonna try to get it right. There. I'm just gonna go with you. We're totally changing the rules. You, we want us to do things in perfection. This whole forgiveness thing, I, I'm not sure what this is because you know, they don't have that concept. They have sacrifice not forgiveness. You have payment for sin, not forgiveness of sin. So we're going to do forgiveness and you want to do a perfect, you want us to do, per, let's, I'll, I'll pick a perfect number. With three, that seems like pretty low. Uh, how about seven times? Seven days of creation, seven's a perfect number, it's a complete number. That, that'd, be, that'd be a pretty good number from complete forgiveness of my brother should he sin against me a lot of times. Jesus, I'm going to use it, okay? Jesus, how about seven times? Peter's not trying to get out of it. Peter's trying to get into it. Problem is, Peter, like us, hasn't realized how greatly the game has changed. We're not even changing the rules. We've totally changed the game. We're not playing soccer anymore. We're playing tennis or something, which I don't know why anybody would do that. He says, seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Nice try, Peter. Seven is a perfect number, but we're going to get to 77 times. That's the new equation. You have an actual number now. We can write an equation. We can tally. We can keep score, and we're good. Praise the Lord, folks. We're all setting out Rock Bible Church. It's straight out of Jesus' mouth. So here's what we're going to do. I printed all these forms. Are you recognizing this as total sarcasm? I'm setting this up as total sarcasm by saying it's total sarcasm. <laughs> A new form that I've divided. I really like the format. I made this myself. If he says 77 times, it says, uh, how many times my neighbor has sinned? It's a new thing we're going to pass them out and take as many as you need okay keeping track of them when they don't <laughs> so we can prove them wrong and get what we want i've quoted the verse here the little exchange between peter and jesus verse 21 and 22 that whole thing we just read it and the little instructions for the form okay uh columns are numbered for your convenience fill in the description for each so you don't forget how they've wronged you 
right? No need to warn your neighbor when they're approaching their limit. Simply present this document completed when you're done. One sheet per neighbor. That's why I printed a whole bunch of them, all right? Enjoy and happy scorekeeping. 77 spaces, you can write them on. Isn't this beautiful? You taking to bringo? Somebody's gonna wrong you that night several times. You can probably fill up several different sheets. Then at the bottom it says, upon completion, present to your neighbor and make sure you tell as many people as possible. Sign here, signature of accuser, signature of offender, and date it. I'll have these up here. You can pick up as many as you need. Not just for your friends because you've got neighbors and don't forget the family members. Okay, let's step out of the sarcasm. Do you know how long it took me to do that? Do you know how much fun I had making that? Okay, thank you for being second service. You guys were smiling and laughing. First service was a little bit like they weren't sure. Okay, they got up early, they hadn't had their coffee, whatever. Why, why did I have so much fun and why did I take so much time to print a document that by, by the way we'll never use to make a point? Chart or not, we already do this. We're the best on the planet. Church people, Christ followers, are profess- we have a PhD in keeping score. And here's how I make sure you're not going to use this document. I only made one. This is just a stack of cardstock. I didn't, I messed with first service. I didn't tell them to the very end. It's not 77 times. It's meant to be, it's meant to be this. Look at the top of your outline. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 35. What's the title say? And how often will my brother sin? And then what's that? What's that little thing? Three dots. Ellipsis. Thank you. English people. I love it. I didn't even learn that was until like seminary. I, I knew what it did. I didn't know it had a name. I was just called it three dots. It's meant, what, what it means is something's coming after it, right? More to come. To be continued. Tune in next week. What I leave off. Gene, what I leave off. Against me. Right underneath that title is the verse. And Peter said to him, right? It's right there. Right almost directly underneath where the ellipsis ends is the phrase against me. I want you to underline it. Because now we're keeping score. One time you've thought about yourself before your brother. Because our thought should be not how many times someone else is making a mistake, but that they can make mistakes. They got a problem or a fault or a need. They've offended. Are you concerned about their condition? How much... How many times will my brother sin? Should be the question. Not against me and I forgive them. 
right? We should be cutting off the end of that sentence and just looking at the beginning of it, right? Jesus said 77 times, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. We are about to fly. Hold on, I'm going through the whole story. Here we go. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So much money you couldn't pay it off in a whole lifetime. Well, what's the current market value? Not important, not the point. Impossible to pay off is the point. And since he could not, verse 25, pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. Human trafficking. We're gonna sell him off because there's no way they can ever pay it. So I'm going to cut my loss and get as much out of them as I can. And they're worth more as slaves than they are sitting in my jail. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay everything. True or false? False. He could never repay. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not much. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Is he treating the other servant the same way the master treated him? No. He's demanding him pay what he owe. He's choking him. He's seizing him. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Does that sound familiar? It's the exact same way he behaved before the master. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Is that the same promise? Could this guy actually pay? He could. Verse 30, the first servant refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. Uh, if you're in prison, how many debts are you paying? That's a life sentence. That gets missed a lot of times. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had, had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master, whoops, gotta stop there. Um, who's the master in this scenario? Did God just get angry? I thought he was peace and love and forgiveness and grace and all of those wonderful things. He's all the emotions, folks. We have a God of envy. We have a God with rage. You remember earlier I said, hey, if somebody walks away, let them. You walk away too. Boom, we have a God who says he's so angry. He delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Know this, that was the second response the master wanted to have towards the servant. What was his first response? Forgive and cancel the debt. But you acted this way. You gave someone else a life sentence. I'll give you a, a life sentences. That's what we're doing. Oh, I'm really good at that. We can play that game. Scary to know that our God is willing and capable of that if we are willing and capable of ignoring him and doing whatever we please against our neighbor. We sin against him, but 
it's detrimental to our neighbor. So we've come full circle on that. Uh, so also, verse 35, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I think this is a little bit scary. Who's he talking to? Believers. Believers. I think he's talking about every believer, every one of you believers. Bad news, folks. You got a worse contract. If you're on the outside, there's maybe a little chance for you to have a repentance and turn moment later. But once you're in, there's some expectations of you. Once you get how it's supposed to work and you blatantly disregard, you might make him angry. That kind of weird? Happy Sunday. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. <laughs> All right, if we're going to ask the question, how often will my brother sin and take it with that perspective, how do we do it? One, you remember that you were called to value people beyond their score among them. You were called, designed, you were created, you were gifted in such a way that you are meant to learn how to value other people. Beyond their score. Which, by the way, what's other people's score? I don't understand the question, Scott. Good. Because it's a trick question. It's sarcastic. <laughs> Which, by the way, I believe that Jesus is sarcastic. Amen? It's a spiritual gift. He said 77 times, and that's not what he meant. He meant forever, and it's not the point. The point of that was, and you can forgive. Right? Uh, people don't have a score. There is nothing, no point value, no number that determines someone's value, changes their value, increase or decrease in any way, shape, or form. Scoring is for what? Competition only. Scoring is for sports. And by the way, sports aren't that important. Did I just say that at church? Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. It wasn't important to the Raiders last week. They traveled all the way to London so they could score three points. I was thinking about this a while ago. Like the total investment of the whole Raiders organization for a year is split into really 16 games. One sixteenth of their whole operation for the whole year, that amount of money spread over three points, those are expensive points. They paid a lot of money for those three points so that they could lose by 24. Let's talk about Jesus. I'm assuming you will move on, okay? Beyond their score, and let, let, let's do talk about Jesus among them, right? I won't go into each of these different little uh, verses where we got the reference. You can go back and look at those later. But Jesus says this amazing little thing. Two or more of the guys, I'm among them. That's a command. Maybe when you go to confront, when you go to question, when you go to help, you ask yourself the question, how do I be among them rather than correct them? How do I be among them rather than control them? How do I be among them rather than hold them accountable? 
You know the greatest person for holding someone else accountable? You know who it is? It's themselves. It's themselves. You be the pleasant delivery grandmother. You come alongside, right? So that they see their value. Because here's the real question uh, Are you scorekeeping or recruiting? Right? You doing math or recruiting? Okay. First service butchered this. One guy answered and he's paid to be here. I'm gonna try this with you guys. I know you're gonna get it better. You ready? Should you be doing math or should you be recruiting? Recruiting. Recruiting. Very good. All right? And you should be praying for first service. Okay? We're here to recruit, bring people in. And you are to do math, but not on them. You do math on who? You do math on yourself. Which is the only time. There's a great thing that happens in that verse that's at the top of your outline where Jesus, where Peter says to Jesus, Lord, how many times will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I wanna, I wanna know, do, do, you know, do you know the value of parties? Like, what are the good parties? Well, the, the good parties are the ones I have fun at and the bad parties are the ones where things go wrong. Not that kind of parties. I mean, first party, second party, third party, right? We need a third party witness, right? That's that kind of party. In that exchange with, with Jesus, Peter says, second person, how many times may, will my brother, second party, how many times will they sin? And then this weird little thing happens, a comma. And it goes to against me and I, first person, forgive them. You see what happened there? Other people were important. They were the focus, the subject of the sentence in English. And then just a couple nanoseconds later we switch it over to I'm the most important it's almost like you're you're saying hey my brother over here really concerned about him but comma I'm on stage have you figured this out about Christianity every single story through the whole book is trying to get you to this point you ready for it to get you off stage and put someone else on stage. Second person, second party, or third party. Third person. Get them on stage and keep them on stage. You figure this out? Love the Lord your God. Why? You get off the stage, you put God on stage. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm, you love yourself a lot. That's why you were on stage. Take yourself off the stage, put your neighbor on stage. They're first. And here's the thing, we're professionals at this as well. We have a PhD and starting the conversation about, hey, hey, this person, this issue, this right or wrong, this thing, those groups, they're really important. And how does it affect me? And we transfer it right over to self again. We gotta make sure we don't do that. That's the problem with most confrontation. And here's the, here's the real problem with confrontation. Ready? We call it confrontation. Wait, wait, what am I supposed to call it? Conflict or? No, I'm gonna give you a new word today. I didn't give it to first service. 
They weren't ready for it. They couldn't answer math or recruiting, okay? <laughs> Here's the word. Resolution. Resolution. I'm on a board of another organization, non-religious. They had a... <laughs> They have a discipline committee. <laughs> hey, Scott, would you please be on the discipline committee? No. No, I will not. I refuse. I shan't. I shanted them. <laughs> I shan't be on that committee. I shall, I will, head the chair of the resolution committee. Whole room went, ooh, Interesting. We changed the bylaws. It's called the resolution committee now. Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be doing recruiting. All right? Second one, here we go. Release your neighbor from their defining equation. Release your neighbor from their defining equation. Those six references there are amazing. But the one I want you really to understand is verse 27. You can highlight it or go to that verse at some point. I want you to underline the phrase where it says, and he forgave him the debt. I should do it this way because you read this way, right? He forgave him the debt. Shouldn't it say he forgave the debt? No, it leaves a third person pronoun in there, him. Why? Because forgiveness is about a person, not about a debt. But we value money so much that we've turned it into a monetary financial statement rather than a person. And we're meant to be in the person business. And so many people are stuck, incarcerated, whatever. We sang a song at the beginning this morning. I was listening and had a moment. There was a word. He, his wounds paid our ransom. Was that from a, a hymn? Like this is why we should do all hymns because they got some amazing nuggets in there. His wounds paid our ransom. Ransom like... You're incarcerated, you're in jail, you need to be let free. Do you know people are jailed, they're stuck, they're, why? Because of their defining equations, things that they believe are true about themselves. Can you imagine if you kept score on somebody and they bought into that score? We do it all the time. We do it with grades, we do it with cuts, we do it with the jobs, we do it with wages, we do it with all kinds of crap. And that's how people are defining themselves. And I want to mess with you just a little fun way. You see that second fill-in there? You spelled it T-H-E-I-R. Why? Because that's what James put on the board. You could have spelled it T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E, implying the conjunction of they are defining equations. A lot of the problems that people are putting themselves in, I would say most of them are putting themselves in, are not equations defined for them by someone else, but the things that they have bought into themselves are illogical thinking that they are defining for themselves. And you might be the one that brings light and value and show that person that they're worth it and the score doesn't matter because there is no score and help them redefine how does God see them. That's what we should be about. God's business is truth and false. 
our business is forgiveness and mercy and love and recruiting and bringing people in and bringing kingdom and showing light and releasing people from their ransom. Not because we died on the cross, because we never would, but because he did for us and that's a message that we can get out. When you go to resolve something, go to resolve the person, not the content. And by doing that, you're gonna release your neighbor from their defining equations. Uh, lastly, know when you're asking the wrong questions. Or know when you're asking the wrong question. Peter came in, he tried, and his intent was right. It was a great question, but it wasn't the best question. Jesus tells a story about a master, and he had pity on them. In your pursuits of how you try to resolve things, is it to the benefit of others? Are you showing pity? Are you showing mercy? Are you showing forgiveness? Are you showing tolerance? Are you doing things to the benefit and the blessing of others? That's how you know if you're asking the right questions. Here's a little test for you. When you're trying to figure out what you should do and you can't find it in the Bible and you come and ask somebody you think knows enough to be able to answer that question, they're not totally sure because there's a lot of gray issues in life and you're trying to figure it out, one of the greatest ways for you to test that assumption, that hypothesis, is to ask yourself, what will it do to other people? What will the outcome be for my community? What will the effect on my family be? And then you start to try and make your decision. Now, I'm a very difficult person, and I would say you can find most answers to most questions in the Bible. You might have to look a little while. But the cheat way to get to the right answer is probably, is it going to hurt someone? And if it is, you probably can call it sin. And you can find the verse later. Or call me, I'll find it for you. Amen? Lord, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to understand that we're all on the resolution committee. We are not victims. We are not weak. We are not sensitive. We are strong, capable, loved, valuable. We have endurance and the ability to put up with a lot. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see when things are difficult, painful, costly, time-consuming, frustrating, and look like they might be an attack on us. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that you are sovereign and you put us in that situation for a reason, and it's probably because that person could benefit from a good exchange with us. I pray, Lord, you show us how to do that. Take us out of the first person and put us in the second party, the third party. Pray, Lord, you would show us how to value others and our exchange over the content. That we might help define value and show people what their definitions are. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm not going to ask you about salvation right now. I want to ask you about where could you bring definition? Where could you bring resolution? Where could you arrive and be among others in a way that was beneficial to them? Who are those people? What is that group? 
What is that situation? Who's, who is it in your family? I want you to say a prayer about that thing that popped into your head. Talk to God about that right now. And Father, we ask you that through your spirit, who is ever present, praise the Lord, whether there's two or three or not of us, that you would use your spirit, the teachings of your son, his sacrifice, and who you are in all your power to help us do a better job with the things that you've just placed in our minds. Lord, we thank you for all this and the opportunity. Guide us as we go. And we thank you for the offering that we're receiving now. We pray you would bless it and help us to be a church of values people. Second and third parties, Lord. Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.